Let's talk some Colorado men's basketball, a little break from football, which I think a lot of people need right now, especially during the bye week, joined by Professor Shapiro. Jake, how are you? I'm great. You know, I haven't thrown my whiteboard at any students this year, so I, I've got that going for me. Um, but yeah, I'm a professor now of note, I guess, uh, at the University of Colorado. So some of the people in my class could be CU athletes. In fact, I've been courting them to take my class. I keep telling them, hey, you should take my class. Zoom has made some changes in all of our lives, but it's nice to be in the same room. Yeah, I mean, we were talking, we probably haven't seen each other in over two years, and we work together almost every single day. So that's pretty wild. And I've been working for The Post for almost an entire year. I've been in the office twice. Jeez. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't leave my house ever. There's no need. I'm a recluse, but at least I'm a recluse with ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> We haven't really fully reflected on the 2020-2021 season, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. Obviously, they're about to tip off the next season, and so we want to spend the bulk of our time talking about that. I'm just curious, looking back, Jake, obviously a, a huge win over Georgetown in the NCAA tournament, uh, and then Florida State was going to be a tough matchup for yeah. a lot of teams. There weren't going to be a lot of teams that were going to beat that team in the tournament. What grade would you give the Buffs last season? Um, I would say probably a B-plus. Uh, and I really want to give them an A. The reason I don't is because they didn't win the Pac-12 championship game, and they really should have. Like, they were right there. They had that game, and then they lost it. And, you know, going up in the, the NCAA tournament against the fourth player drafted in, in the NBA draft that followed a few months later in Scotty Barnes, that's a real challenge, and we know this as someone – who has covered uh, Colorado basketball for long enough that the NCAA tournament just comes down to matchups. And that matchup against Georgetown was a great matchup for the Buffs. That was the easiest win they, ha they were going to possibly get in an NCAA tournament game. That was like the Pittsburgh game they had uh, where they lost it, but the opposite. You know, like it was just everything lined up perfectly. Um, but that Florida State team was, was, was probably a little underrated, underperformed, and they had really good talent. And I really like their coach. A lot of similarities to Tad Boyle. And uh, I'm not going to grade them on that. But the fact that they couldn't get the Pac-12 title just, just drops me down a little bit. But, you know, finally finishing top four in the conference was a big deal. They achieved a lot of their goals. And like I said, I really, really want to give them an A for their season last year as a grade. But I just I come up just like an 89.9%. Like I'm really, really close to giving it. And I think that Last year established a lot for the program, and it helped solidify the fact that they ended up with one of the best recruiting classes in the country, which was a really big deal. So uh, last year was, was a great year for Colorado basketball. It really was, and I think a lot of people will look back fondly on it. Unfortunately, no one really got to see it up close and personal. I was one of the fortunate people that actually did, uh, which was really cool that I got to experience a lot of that and be at McKinley's finally home, final home game and stuff like that. Uh, but it really was dampened for me and people around the program, people in the program, by the fact that the great crowds that have been at cores for so long didn't show up to the keg. They do one shiny moment at the end of the NCAA tournament, and what image from CU do they take? They, they take McKinley embracing Tad Boyle. There were a few of those moments that were just awesome, and for him to be able to get in the tournament and win a game is just you couldn't feel any better for the ending of that era, but it is the end of an era. That will be always be looked at as the McKinley Wright era at CU, and you have Evan Batty back, and Eli Parquet has done some good things in a CU uniform, but it's 
a different era they're venturing into right now. And what a cherry on top of the perfect college story in my mind of like, if you could come up with the American dream of what college is supposed to be about, you know, dads in prison, you know, didn't really get the proper upbringing. And, you know, luckily McKinley and his father have kept that relationship and repaired it. And then, you know, has a great college career, goes out a legend on campus and then gets the cherry of top, on top of getting to play for his hometown team. I mean, uh, I, I just don't think it can be understated how great of a story McKinley is, how great of a human he is for all of that, and how much character and how much drive it took to get the Colorado Buffaloes where it was. Because, yeah, there was a plateau in the middle of the Colorado Buffaloes Tad Boyle era, and now it's looking upwards again. And a lot of that is, I think, thanks to McKinley Wright taking the reins. And a lot of people, you know, on our board are saying, "Hey, can the Buffs make the tournament this year?" I think that's that's a high expectation for such a young team. But the fact that we're talking about it, I think just goes to show you that the bar was raised again by McKinley Wright and Tad Boyle. Eligibility didn't count. So Deshaun Schwartz could have come back. Dallas Walton could have come back. With Schwartz, I think it was time to go. You know, him and Boyle, it's not that they had a horrible relationship, but they butted heads at times. And I think with Dallas, you know, he got an opportunity to go to another major conference program. So it worked out well for him. If it was your call, would you have liked to see both those guys back in the program, or are you okay with the youth movement that they're going in right now? The guy I would have tried to bring back under all circumstances would have been Jariah Horn. Um, I think that was probably the biggest impact guy that they lost for this year's team. Now, by looking at the stats, um, Deshaun Schwartz is one of the most efficient returning players in the country. Deshaun Schwartz is going to have a huge year. Deshaun Schwartz is awesome. Um, the problem with Deshaun Schwartz, and we've seen this over the Tad Boyle era, is how many wings have we seen Tad Boyle actually use and use their skill from wing scoring? I just don't think Tad Boyle's system is necessarily predicated or run towards having wings create their own shot and having wings, you know, do their own thing. And Deshaun can do so many different things on the basketball court. And I don't think his skill set was ever utilized to the way that Deshaun wanted it to be, but he fit in perfect for what he was doing here in Boulder. Um, now, the other thing I would have tried to do is I would have tried to bring back Dallas Walton because me and you were at practice today. That team's a small team. The buffs are small this year and they're going to have trouble rebounding. Um, and, you know, Dallas is someone that was oft injured and maybe he just needs a new set of, uh, you know, a new set of home court and just to a change of perspective. But it would have been nice to see him back here because I think the Buffs would have really used him this year. And a front court of Walton and Batty is a lot different than a front court of Batty and, and Walker. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of fans are very high on Jabari Walker, but he is just a sophomore and he is five inches smaller than Dallas Walton. So, and it's just another body. One of the things we've learned with Tad Boyle over the years is when he has usable bigs, he's going to use all of them because bigs get in foul trouble. Evan Batty gets in foul trouble a lot. It's gotten better over the years. But just having someone that's capable of being out there, like even an Alexander Strading in the past, is huge because it's just someone else that can give you five fouls. We talked about how this is going to be a young basketball team. I don't think there's any question those 10 summer practices were – monumental for this program they were able to jump into the preseason practices and these young kids knew where to go knew what to do and they had already gotten a lot of coaching but they went down to Costa Rica and those games did not help this basketball team the, the competition was not there for them to get better do you think if Tad could go back and change where they went this summer they go somewhere else maybe um you know I think the trip needs to be looked at as a whole as 
an off-the-court bonding experience just as much as it is an on-the-court X's and O's getting better thing. I, I don't know that those summer trips, you really get that much better no matter what. And when the group that was here four or five years ago with McKinley Wright and Evan Batty and those freshmen talk about the trip they took to Italy, they don't talk about the basketball games getting them better at all. They talk about how they really came together as a group over there. And I think that this trip to Costa Rica was an opportunity for that. And looking at the guys around the team, it seems like they're really, uh, they're all together. They're all in one. They're, they're kind of in the same mindset and they seem to very much like each other, which isn't that important for a basketball team, but it's nice to have. Um, so I think that trip, yeah, could they have gone to Greece and maybe played better professionals? Sure. But I don't think it really would have impacted how much they were going to play or what they were going to do in terms of their system once the Pac-12 started because Tad Boyle was really just playing pickup ball in those games and preaching defense and rebounding. The system that the Buffs run and the impl implementation of that and what Tad really wants happens in this month, the month leading up to the first game. So uh, I think just getting them on campus and getting them to understand what it means to be a Colorado Buffalo is more important than, hey, you need to cut here or we play our screen coverage like this. I saw them doing screen coverages in summer practices. You know, except for maybe 10% of the people in college basketball, it's not really that hard for a kid to understand, hey, this is a catch hedge. This is a, the way we should be playing a catch hedge. Or, hey, this is drop coverage. Like, that's explainable in a 15-minute practice. So to me, it's not about the X's and O's. To me, it's about the mentality stuff. And the more time that young players get around each other and the more times they get around Tad, I think the more important. And I think to me, that's what should be looked at because who really cares if they were playing Fairview or the Boston College or Boston Celtics? Like none of the three matter as long as they were together and they felt like they were, you know, contributing to each other's lives a little bit and getting to know each other. This is Tad Boyle's 12th season as CU's head coach. He still has not led this program to a sweet 16 everybody knows that but if you're ranking how secure the men's basketball head coaches are across the country he's got to be high on the list where, where does his legacy stand right now in your eyes you know he's probably in the upper five percent of people's secure jobs in college basketball it would take like some sort of scandal at this point to to, to get tad boyle out of cu like i don't which think which is not going to which is not going to happen the way he runs his program I mean, he would be need half a decade of poor performance in a row to, to lose that job. He's just not losing that job. He's clearly the best coach that CU men's basketball team's ever had. There's an argument for Sox Walseth as well, but in the modern era of college basketball, Tad has brought this team to relevance. He has smoothly transitioned this program into the Pac-12, which people might say, hey, that's harder. But you know what? Or, or that's not that hard. But the Pac-12 is a better basketball conference, I'd argue, than the Big 12. I know some people wouldn't argue that. We've seen the football program struggle to transition to the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 should be an easier football conference on paper than the Big 12. So I would say Tad Boyle's legacy lies in the fact that he stewarded in the golden era of Colorado basketball hoops to this point, and Maybe there's a building block where this gets even greater. Me and you talked about who maybe would replace Tad Boyle 15, 20 years from now if Tad decides to retire in that time frame. And there's so many candidates because Tad has built such a good program here and so many people care about Colorado basketball now. Maybe not the fan base, but so many people around Colorado basketball care about Colorado basketball and think of it as a big deal that 
Tad may have well set up the building blocks where, you know, a Kim English, a Spencer Dinwiddie, a Carlin Brown, who we saw practice today, uh, a Zach Rubisam, you know, even a Mike Rohn. One of these guys could take what Tad's built here for 15, 20 years and take it even to another level. And there's always going to be that remembrance of Tad as the steward of this program, taking it from irrelevance to relevance. Um, and, you know, I think a big part of his uh, legacy could lie into this recruiting class because it's a great recruiting class. And if he's able to hit on this recruiting class, by the end of it, you know, they could be looking at a sweet 16 or multiple sweet 16s. So uh, Tad still has a lot of legacy to build in Boulder, but ultimately to this point, it's been a great legacy and you have to put him either at number one or number two, his greatest college basketball coaches in Boulder of all time. And if he's in that discussion, he's probably in greatest coaches to ever walk on the campus at CU of all time with Bill McCartney and Mark Wetmore. Cheyenne DeBuff had a question for you, Jake. He wants to know, what type of rotation do you see the Buffs using this year? He also asked, who closes the game? Any redshirt candidates? Um, we're going to see Quincy Allen redshirt just because he's a little banged up. So I'd expect Quincy Allen to, to redshirt, even though he's a five-star. That might surprise some people, but, uh, you know, it's an injury thing. Javon Ruffin, uh, I, I just see him as a potential redshirt guy. Um, I think they're going to need Julian Hammond between the two of uh, Hammond and Ruffin to actually play guard. So Ruffin makes more sense as a redshirt candidate. Um, in terms of their actual rotation, right now on paper, I have their starting five being Keyshawn, Parquet, um, Jabari Walker, Evan Batty. And then the, the, the question mark to me is at the three spot, and it's between Dominique Clifford and Luke O'Brien. Right now I'd probably say Dominique Clifford. Um, has the, or Neat Clifford he's going by now, I'll always remember him by what he was recruited as, but Neat Clifford um, probably has the, the, the best shot at that three spot, just because I think Neek is a really good defender, and we're starting to see some of that at practice. Like, Neek has the ability to be a really good defender and take that jump that Parquet did this past year, where he goes from, all right, this guy's just out here to, oh my God, this guy might be a conference defender. Um, but it takes a little while for a guy coming from 3A basketball in Colorado to develop some of those skills. So it, he does have the body for it. He, he has a great athleticism, and I think Neek offers some wing scoring and some stuff like that. Whereas Luke O'Brien's probably this team's best shooter, and that also is something that's valuable to the to the lineup. But Luke O'Brien also has a really good ability to playmake, and I think that running him out with that second unit will take some of the pressure off of you know uh, KJ Simpson and Julian Hammond for the playmaking ability. And uh, you know Tristan De Silva is even going to do some playmaking on that second unit with Lawson Lovering. So I think that's that's the rotation: KJ, Julian, De Silva, Lawson uh, off the bench. And, you know, you see with Tad, come conference play, that rotation really slims down to about eight. So Julian will probably not be in it towards the end of the year. But I could see this rotation being nine with KJ, De Silva, Lawson, and Luke staying in the rotation all year. And like I said, I think Luke's going to be back and forth between the starting lineup with Dominique Clifford. And I think even De Silva will get some starts too, um, particularly because uh, Jabari and Evan have had some injury issues over their career. And in terms of closing games, you talked about that one starting spot that you're not quite sure of. 
I think that's going to change based on which of those guys is playing the best in that game, don't you think, in terms of who's closing the game? Yeah, and that's one of the things uh, we've seen with Tad is people criticize his in-game adjustments and stuff like that. And that's something every coach gets criticized for. Uh, His clock management, his in-game adjustments have gotten better over the course of his career. And one of the things he's always been good at, I think, is towards the end of games, he plays the hot hand. Um, Maybe in-game, he'll take someone out when they are hot or something like that, and it really pisses people off. But he's really good at getting the guy who's played the best in there towards the end of the game and adjusting around that. Um, you saw this with like Josh Fortune and like Xavier Johnson and some guys like that throwback. Um, but you're going to see some different things this year from Tad. And he talked about this today where it's just, he doesn't have that security blanket. He doesn't have that reliability of McKinley, Wright. He's going to need the guy that's out there playing the best to maybe have the ball in his hand and take the final shot. Even if it is the sixth or seventh man, like they're going to have to do some different things. And, um, it's, it's, it's annoying in one sense because it's like, okay, we don't know who's, who's going to have the ball for the final shot at the end of the game. But it's also nice because the other team's not going to know who has the ball in the shot for the final shot at the end of the game. Um, but, they, but, you know, I, I talked to Eli Parquet today too, and uh, I think Eli Parquet often gets forgot about offensively because, you know, his defense is so good and McKinley did so much, but he had the ability to create a little bit from the off guard spot and ran the offense a little bit when McKinley was out. And I think Eli is going to have some opportunity to get some playmaking touches, which uh, again, leads me to, I think with the rotation, Tad Boyle might stagger some minutes with, you know, making sure Eli or Keyshawn is always out on the floor, uh, even with the young guys, which is something that, you know, Tad Boyle hasn't always done staggering minutes. It was play McKinley all, you know, almost the whole game with the bench and the starters and the minutes were staggered because McKinley had to come out at some point, you know, Tad Boyle's mainly done unit for unit substitutions or had, you know, like I said, rotation of eight, it would be, he would stagger two guys, but it really wasn't staggering because his rotation was only eight. So it might be more conscious staggering of the rotation. Shine DeBuff had another question. I think this was, is going to be an easy one to answer, Jake. He asked for fun, who wins in a game last year's CU men's basketball team or this current team? Uh, last year's team in March versus this team in October. Uh, last year's team in March would absolutely run the floor, mop the floor at this team. It's you not could even, even close. I think you could even say with the preseason team a year ago, they would as well. Yeah, I, I think they were still coming together a bit. I don't think Jabari Walker was what he ended up being towards the preseason. Uh, you have to also remember Tristan Da Silva got a lot better towards the end of the year, and that was a big part of their depth. Um, Dallas Walton was also still recovering from the injury at the start of the year. So they had some question marks at the start of the year last year, but, and, and I think Evan Batty wasn't near the player that he ended up, that he is right now towards the start of last year, where he was a little bit towards the end of last year. So I don't think it would be a, a blowout necessarily. Like it would be a good game, but last year's team would still win even the October version. Um, but that team got so much better throughout the course of the year. And we saw flashes of it, you know, early on, but you have to remember that Tennessee game. Like they had games where they were looked really rough early on, and then they got a lot better, um, and they got hot towards the end of the year, which is something that happens with these Tad Boyle teams. They seem to have a stretch of six to eight games some point in the year where they get really hot. And you know, for the McKinley's freshman year, it was in January. Last year, it was the right time. And I think that's what it comes down to in college basketball: is who gets hot at the right time, and what's your matchup in March. 
Dangerous asked, how has Key looked in practices, referring to Keyshawn Bartholomew? And his other question was, who is set to take the biggest jump on the team? It's good these two questions come together because I think it is Bartholomew in terms of taking the biggest jump. And he's not McKinley Wright from a leadership standpoint, but he's a, a good young leader in his own right. Just going to these practices, he's, along with Evan, the most vocal guy out there. Yeah, you know, McKinley Wright leaves a massive hole, and Key is not big enough to fit in that keyhole. Like, Keyshawn Bartholomew is not going to fill that hole by himself. But Keyshawn Bartholomew, I think, is a really good player, and we'd be talking about him in any other year where we're not comparing him to McKinley Wright or talking about replacing McKinley Wright as one of the finer guards in the Pac-12. Like, I legitimately think this. Uh, He's been on campus now for this is year three. He knows Tad Boyle's system. Every time he's had more than five minutes on the floor consistently, like if he's gotten a run of 10 minutes, he's looked really good. Every time I've seen him in practice when he's running with the unit he normally runs with, last year, two years ago, he looks really good. He's put on weight. He looks a little differently without the dreads. You know, He's going to come out here and I think surprise people, and people are going to go, who is this person? Um, both because of the hair and because they really didn't see him behind McKinley Wright last year. And even so, like when he was, off the floor, uh, when he was on the floor, sometimes Eli Parquet was actually running point guard for the Buffs. So uh, I think Keyshawn Bartholomew is going to surprise a lot of people. I wouldn't be surprised if Keyshawn Bartholomew comes out here and averages like 12 and 5. Like, I, I really wouldn't. Um, I think that he has a really high ceiling. And uh, when he was recruited, that was the thought process. And as soon as he was recruited, as soon as he got on campus, the coaches around the program were starting to compare him towards, you know, the Spencer Dinwiddie's, Corey Higgins, McKinley Wrights. And that's the only natural thing to do when you've had such a good guard program and you, you recruit such a good caliber guard. Um, I just do want to temper expectations because I think it's unfair to, to say, oh, you know, he's going to be as good as McKinley. He's going to be good as Spencer Dinwiddie. That's, that's completely unfair, uh, especially for a guy that's really getting his first starts. He's getting his first starts in college basketball. But having the ability to do that against Maine and University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee is going to build his confidence for when he is playing UCLA and Stanford and stuff like that. And I think that we're going we're gonna to find out a lot about Keyshawn Bartholomew and his decision-making against these non-conference foes, and we're going to know who he is by conference season, which is really rare in college basketball. Normally, you still have a lot of question marks going into conference season. Like, you don't know what Evan Batty could do because Evan's a little undersized going to the Pac-12 or something like that. Not, I mean, now we know, but, you know, a couple of years ago. Keyshawn Bartholomew, we're going to know because his decision-making is going to be the same against University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee as it is going to be against Stanford. And we're going to see how much he's learning. We're going to see the type of effort he puts in on certain plays. We're going to see that athleticism flash. And he's a really athletic guy, and he's got good bounce. And I, I, I really like him as a candidate to step forward. I don't know that he's my favorite step forward guy. I think that might be uh, Dominique Clifford or uh, Luke O'Brien as guys that could just take a massive jump because those are guys that played, you know, what, 50 minutes total last year, those two guys. And this year they might play 50 minutes in a weekend, 25 and 25, you know. So those two guys, I would say they have the potential to, to jump forward the most because they go from basically not playing to maybe one of them being a starter. But uh, Keyshawn Bartholomew, I think, could be a really good player for this team. And if Keyshawn Bartholomew ends up falling flat on his face, this team is not. This team might not go 500. Like I'll put it that way. He's he's the X factor for this team. We've got a question from Buckets since '88. Do you think he was born in '88? Was he getting buckets out the womb, <laughs> or is this maybe when he started playing? Was '88 when he started playing organized hoops? 
I think 1888. He invented hoops. He's James <laughs> Naismith. James Naismith is on our board. His question was, who do you see as being the focal point of the offense? I think Jabari Walker is probably the most talented player on the team. But as we know in college basketball, it's a guard's game. Unless you have an elite shot creator at point guard, it's usually harder for wings and bigs to dominate. We started to see how well Walker shot the three and finished last year. Has he improved his handle enough to become a three-level scorer? A little bit to, to dive into here, Jake. You know, to expect Jabari Walker to repeat his three-point percentage of 52.3% is ludicrous. He's not doing that. Like, the, the year-over-year three-point shooting stats, I think, are very, very small sample size. They're very volatile. Like, he, he shot 44 threes last year. He shot more threes today in the gym. You know, like, it's just really hard to say what his shooting percentage is going to be. I could see it anywhere from, you know, 28% to, to back to 53%. And that's a massive change in, the, in the, the player you're going to be. But the thing with Jabari Walker is he said over and over, it's so easy to play basketball with McKinley Wright. He always finds me, and all I got to do is shoot or finish. What's Jabari Walker going to look like without McKinley Wright? And to me, this is something we won't know until into conference play a little bit because Jabari Walker is six foot eight, 200 pounds. He's going to dominate these non-conference teams that aren't Kansas and Tennessee. Like he's going to go up against University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and I'm sure he's just about as big as their center. And he's athletic as, you know, that team's guard, you know? So we really won't know what Jabari Walker in terms of what type of growth he's doing until later in the year. Now, I don't think Jabari Walker is going to be a conference player, uh, you know, a conference all-team player guy. But I could see Jabari Walker going in the top 20 of the draft this year just because he's got the perfect frame and he shoots the ball and, you know, he rebounds and does these things. But he really, really needs to step up his rebounding. He's going to need to flash some more shot creation. Um, I don't see the offense being predicated around Jabari Walker. Tad Boyle's never put his offense around a guy like Jabari Walker. Now, Tad Boyle in the past has put his offense a guy in the post like he did with Josh Scott, and I could see him doing something similar with Evan Batty. And not because Evan's an elite post scorer. He's not. Evan scores his baskets completely differently than Josh Scott. But Evan is a very good playmaking big. And we've seen Evan lose weight. Evan looks, Evan looks small. Like, he does, compared to, like, what we remember Evan as. Uh, Evan looks smaller than Luke O'Brien, in fact. He just looks lean. He looks cut. Um, and I think you're going to see Evan really used mobily, and as his playmaking ability, I saw Evan make two or three really great practices and, uh, or passes in practice today. So um, in terms of who's going to be the leading scorer on the buffs, it might be Jabari Walker. It might be Keyshawn Bartholomew. Hell, it might be Luke O'Brien, honestly, if he gets hot and shoots 53% from three like Jabari Walker did because Luke O'Brien's going to be shooting at a higher rate than you know Jabari Walker at, uh, you know, let's see, 1.73s a game or whatever he shot last year. So I, I couldn't tell you who the leading scorer is going to be, but I could tell you that I think Evan ba Batty's going to handle the ball the most outside of Keyshawn Bartholomew, which to me says the offense is going to be run a lot through Ke uh, uh, Evan Batty and Keyshawn Bartholomew to me. We have three questions from Mile High Crew. His first question here is, what is the rotation that we can expect come opening night in terms of starters and guys who will get the majority of bench minutes? So you already talked about how you see uh, the top of that rotation going. In terms of majority of the bench minutes, you kind of touched on that as well. I, though, I'm not quite as sold on Ruffin necessarily 
redshirting at this point. It's easy to say that, I think, because he looks a little rusty, just the fact that he didn't practice this summer. Mm -hmm. And even to start preseason, and he's still got a knee brace on, um, I, I still think that Ruffin will, at least in the preseason, probably get at least a run out there. There's no reason not to against Mines in Nebraska. So, um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to find out probably after the Mines in Nebraska game who actually is that second red shirt next to Quincy Allen. Um, but the, the two guys I want to touch on that I didn't really were lost in, in KJ. Uh, KJ has the chance to be a really impact player off the bench. Uh, you know, I, I don't think KJ is going to be counted on for a lot, which is nice for a freshman. He can come in and just kind of play. Um, and KJ just won a state title. He's got some big game experience. Uh, me and you both have met him. I think, you know, he's a charismatic kid. I don't think he's going to shy away from the moment. Uh, I think he's going to come out there and just shoot and like, just, just do his thing. Like, and Tad Boyle might drive him crazy at sometimes because he might not necessarily be the most, uh, doing exactly what the coach wants, but I think we might see some really fun stuff out of KJ Simpson and it might be a nice change of pace for the buffs. Um, sometimes it's going to be bad. Sometimes it's going to be good. That's a freshman for you. Um, and I think it's going to be something that's really positive in the end in terms of a long-term thing for the Buffs. Now, Lawson Lovering is a guy that might be in the starting lineup by the end of the year. Lawson Lovering uh, looks good. Uh, he's very uh, – he's got great coordination. He shoots the ball decently. I think he needs to probably work on his paint defense. He did put on some weight. He used to look as skinny as a stick. Now he might be as skinny as a light post. Um, so he's putting on, he's getting a little thicker. Um, but I really, I, I think that, you know, there's a reason why he was rated so highly and, you know, people have seen it and I I've seen it. Like he, he could be a really good player for the buffs, but it's going to be hard for him to fight for playing time around Evan Batty and Jabari Walker, at least in the starting lineup. You know, those are two guys that it's going to be hard to, to get playing time around. And Tad Boyle has never been a fan of playing three bigs at once. And he thinks of Jabari Walker like a big, which makes sense, because unless Jabari Walker is shooting 52% from three, which he did last year, you can't really space the floor with that. Um, though it has changed a little bit because I think Keyshawn Bartholomew might be naturally a little bit better of a shooter than, than McKinley Wright. So he won't need to get as downhill as McKinley Wright did because spacing was so important with the buffs last year. Uh, but, it, but that's a negligible difference when we're talking about the level of basketball this team's at compared to where the team was at last year. Mile High Crew's next question is, what are your expectations for this team by end of year? And then in parentheses, he put first round, NIT, et cetera. Um, I think the NIT would be a nice year for this team. Uh, get into the postseason, get some experience. I could see them making the tournament. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to that. Like, I think that would be a, an exceptional year. They do have talent. They, they do have talent. But it's really hard to, to make the tournament unless you have a five-star guard or have senior guards. And this team doesn't have either of those things. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 seems to have improved. We'll see. You know, that's what we hear every year. The Pac-12 has improved. We'll see. But it is going to be a struggle for the Buffs to go up against some of these, these blue blood teams that have actual bigs when their biggest guy is six foot eight, and then uh, in their starting lineup and then off the bench, it's Lawson Lovering, who is a freshman, and he's their only guy on their roster over six foot nine. So... I think the Buffs are going to struggle against some of these bigger teams this year, and it's going to take a while for them to settle in and find a game plan to kind of counter those big teams and, and find what they do well against those big teams. But 
towards the end of the year, I see them improving. Like they're going to keep getting better. They're going to go on a run. They're going to upset somebody. They're going to win some big games. Uh, this is a team that people aren't going to want to play in Colorado. Tad Boyle is one of the hardest coaches to play against. Like the buffs are never an easy out. Even when they lose road games, it's close, generally speaking. So uh, yeah, I would say that they're going to be around that borderline where they're always kind of at where, hey, they might sneak into the tournament or they might be an NIT team. But I think that's probably a positive for this team. And one final question from Mile High Crew. He asked predictions on who will lead the team in scoring, assists, rebounds, and who is your sleeper pick as to who will surprise us this season? Scoring your, I think we're, it's going to be close, right, between your top three, four guys? Yeah, they're all going to be around 12 points a game, probably 13 points a game. Um, I don't want to say Evan Batty. I don't want to say Jabari. It's hard. They're they're all right there. If you had to put a gun to my head right now, I'd probably go. I'd probably go Evan Batty. Um, but I could see it being any of Keyshawn Bartholomew, Eli Parquet. I, any Eli, of those. Eli Parquet is not leading this team in scoring. Probably not. If he is, we're in trouble. Um, but it, I mean, like I said, if Luke O'Brien gets hot and starts shooting, I could see him kind of being in that Alexander, uh, not Alexander Strading, uh, Lucas Seawert role where he's just you know shooting a lot. And that puts up points a game. You know, all it takes is four threes to, to hit 12 points a game. And if you're shooting tw- six a game, seven a game, it's pretty easy to get. So, uh, yeah, I-, I will go Evan Batty. And then in terms of assists, it's going to be Keyshawn Bartholomew just because he's the point guard. But I would say sneakily number two might be Evan Batty. Um, he's, he, he gets good assists for a big man. Uh, I'd really like to see Evan Batty put up a triple-double this year. I think it's possible. I don't think it's completely impossible. Now, it would be an exceptional game, like his best game of his career. But Evan Batty out there against Maine, give me that triple-double, please. That would be awesome. And then uh, rebounds. I really want it to be Jabari Walker that leads this team in rebounding. He has the bounce. He has the ability to go get balls. Evan Batty's just not that guy. Like, Evan Batty's a great positional defender, great positional player in terms of boxing out. We've seen Evan play. He doesn't have a 40-inch vert. He he plays below the rim. Jabari's a guy that can go up there and get a rebound. If Jabari ends up with more than 10 rebounds a game, this this team's going to go places. In terms of sleeper pick, it's harder with a basketball team because – if you're a fan of a basketball team, you're going to be well-versed in all those scholarship guys. But Tristan De Silva is the one guy that, as I was driving this morning, I'm trying to do what my voting for a Top Buffs countdown would be in my head. And I just forgot about De Silva. I had to look at – because I had counted 10 scholarship guys that are healthy, and I knew I was missing one. So I looked at the CU roster. It's like, how did I forget De Silva? Because – he was where he needed to be last year, his first year on campus, and he's only going to get better. It's funny that I am picking the guy in this category as a guy that I just forgot about a couple hours ago, but yeah. it really was a revelation of, like, I should not do that again because this is – you talked about uh, Keyshawn kind of being the key to this team. I think De Silva could be kind of that, that X-factor type guy that when he shows up to play – that adds a really another quality piece to this basketball team. He's going to play 22 minutes a night. Like, he's going to play a lot of minutes, Tristan Da Silva, uh, you know, on and off the bench. He's probably, you know, he is their, and this is crazy, me and you were talking about this, he's their fourth most experienced player probably. You know, it, it's Bari, Batty, Eli, and, and Da Silva. He's, he's probably played a little bit more than Keyshawn. It's, it's a, it's a toss-up. You know, he's either their fourth or fifth most experienced player, though, at this point. And... 
I talked to him today, and that run he got of games last year when Evan Batty and Jabari were hurt were so valuable for him because now he has that confidence to know that he can go in and he's a Pac-12 caliber player. I mean, hell, he's even the best De Silva in the Pac-12 now. Like, you know, so, but he's a guy that Tad, he's one of the only guys on this team that Tad Boyle knows he can rely upon. He's going to give him a consistent effort. He's going to have sh- good basketball IQ. He's going to be in the right places. Now it's on to Silva to get more rebounds, be more aggressive, do some more things on the basketball court, actually show up in the box score instead of just where the coach finds his happy place, you know? And I, I think that's, that's possible for De Silva. And, you know, one of the things I actually like about De Silva is, you know, we've seen Boyle struggle with European players in the past. But I think part of that basketball IQ stuff is the fact that he was coached by European coaches. Like, De Silva has a great fundamental basketball mindset. And now it's about doing some stuff that is like, how do I mesh knowing where to be with, okay, I have to take a risk for this rebound. I have to be more aggressive in this spot. I have to push the pace. That's not necessarily fundamental basketball, but it's something I need to do for my team here. And there's, there's a difference there because there is guys that are like, hey, we're going to be diving all over the floor like Faku Kampazu. We're going we're gonna to be trying to steal every ball. We're going to be throwing the ball left, right, and center. That's not necessarily fundamental basketball, but it is something teams need. And De Silva's kind of the opposite. He just is doing everything correctly. Now, it's, now he kind of needs to do some stuff the wrong way, if that makes sense. It, it's a really weird thing. And I, I know a coach probably listening to this is rolling their eyes. But like, that's the way I think of it is he does everything soundly. Now he's got to do some stuff that's like, I'm going to go out and get this bucket. Well, we had uh, a chance, like you had mentioned, Jake, to go attend CU's men's basketball practice this morning. We stopped by the Dark Horse, got a nice burger, talking hoops. This is like chicken noodle soup for the soul right here. This is what I needed today. <laughs> it's old school. The, the only thing missing is some of the old familiar faces with CU basketball that we used to hang around on the Buff Stampede board. But, man, uh, I've been doing this, this for almost a decade, like Tad Boyle, this exact thing, podcasting with you talking hoops, going to practice, eating at Dark Horse. Yeah. The only thing that's changed is the, the price on the starving student meal. Everything else is about the same. Well, you've got a lecture to get ready for tomorrow, so I should probably uh, leave you to that. You're breaking news for the Denver Post. Uh, so uh, you were, you're wearing quite a few different hats here. Yeah, you know, I have a hat collection at home of baseball caps. Most people know I'm a huge baseball fan. It's like about 75 caps wide. I think the amount of caps I wear professionally is now topping the amount of caps <laughs> in my uh, actual collection. But yeah, it, you know, if anyone wants to attend my lecture or, or audit my class, let me know, Buff Stampede Board. You would learn a lot. Uh, so, so talk to the register at CU. Think about auditing Jake Shapiro's class because the more you audit my class, the more money I make. All right. And that's what this is all about. And uh, obviously one of those hats is covering CU men's basketball. So November 9th is the season opener. I'm sure we'll chat again before that. But, again, it's great to be talking CU men's basketball again. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate you. Yeah, let's see some wins on the gridiron.